In this week's episode, we talk about some of the fantastic benefits of reading. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svee. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. And welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svee. I'm your host, Svee Hilsenrath. So as anybody who knows me will tell you, and as any long-term listeners will know, one of my absolute favorite things to do is to read. And I'm definitely not the first person to talk about the importance or the benefit or the enjoyment of reading. Many, many successful people say that one of their biggest secrets is reading. Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, go to the top of any field and you'll probably find somebody that reads a lot of books. Consistent reading has shown to improve IQ, especially at a younger age, has also been shown to be one of the things that a person can do to lower the chances of acquiring dementia later on in life. And despite the internet existing, if you want to get into a topic on a deep level, understand it fully before you engage in the action, the best way to do it is with a book. However, there are three areas of life when it comes to mental health that I want to highlight that benefit from consistent reading. And those are empathy, problem solving, and resilience. Because it turns out that these three things, empathy, problem solving, and resilience, meaning the ability to get through difficult situations, are three life skills that need to be acquired and practiced and trained just like any other skill in life. The more you exercise them, the better at them you get. And there is a certain type of therapy. It is actually one of the oldest forms of effective therapy, and it is known as bibliotherapy or therapy with books. What a number of studies have shown over the years is that if a person reads fiction and is able to identify with the protagonist, with the main character, the hero or heroine in any story, and follows the protagonist through situations similar to those that the person themselves are or will go through, these three skills, empathy, problem solving, and resilience, will improve. If a person is stuck in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and then reads a story about someone that had gone through a similar situation, even if the solution to whatever problem it is, is not the one they end up using, just reading a story about somebody else having a different solution, different options, a different way of thinking than what the person is currently stuck with, has been shown to help free up a person's ability to think about their life and their problems differently. Reading stories, reading fiction has been shown to improve a person's ability to connect with other people. An important part of connecting with other people is to understand on a base level, on an emotional level, not just in an intellectual theoretical level, the ability to understand that people do not think like us. We are each unique in our thinking. And to be able to connect with other people despite and often because of the differences in thinking. As well, studies have shown that people that read a lot tend to not feel as alone in their problems as people that do not because they understand that the problems they are going through are probably not personal problems, but human problems. Not that they are not struggling with them personally, but that they are not alone within their struggle. And although bibliotherapy can come with formal questions that a person can ask or a therapist can ask to help the process along, even before we get to them, just the reading itself has been shown 
to be healing and to strengthen those three core skills of empathy, problem solving, and resilience. And this is only if a person reads fiction. And traditionally, bibliotherapy has been used with people reading fiction. But there have been a lot of studies and a lot of evidence that shows that the same thing can happen if a person reads good poetry. And the same thing can happen if a person reads nonfiction. There is even evidence, although it seems to be on a lesser scale, but there's even evidence that watching good movies can have a similar effect to a person spending time immersed in a book. That having been said, anybody who knows me will know that I will vastly recommend the book over anything else. And so how do you do this? How do you go about using a book to help yourself heal emotionally or strengthen those skills of empathy, problem solving, and resilience. So one thing to do is to become aware of the emotions that are happening while you are reading. When you are reading, what is going on for you? What comes up for you? More formal questions such as, what did the heroine do to address the problem at hand? What was the problem she was addressing? How did she go about addressing it? How would I do things similarly or differently? And What values do each of our decisions speak to? If I agree with the things the protagonist did in order to address the problems in their life, what values do we share that would lead us to the same solutions? If I would act differently, why? Is it only an opportunity thing? Or is there something deeper? What was it about the various characters in the book that spoke to me? What didn't speak to me? And why did I connect with the things that spoke with me? And why did I not connect with those that did not? I think one of the reasons this works with a long-form nonfiction book as opposed to just an article is that within a long-term nonfiction book, or at least a good one, you will get a sense of the character of the author as well. And so in reading a nonfiction book, or at least a well-written one, similar questions about the author can be asked. Now, I do often get asked what books I would recommend people read, and I'm not going to give any recommendations here. Part of the reason I'm hesitant to give recommendations is that the three books I'm about to mention, I don't agree with a lot of what they say, and I don't agree with a lot of the language that they use. But I will mention three books that have been very influential to me over the course of my life. The first is a book that I've mentioned multiple times over the course of this podcast, and that is How to Argue and Win Every Time by Jerry Spence. I read this, I was probably 19 or 20 years old, and I often credit it with changing my life. There are ideas in this book that I use every single day of my professional and personal life. And one of the biggest ideas that he expresses that I resonate with is he speaks about argument as a form of living. And he says that the first half of his book is more about how to live life in a way that is a winning argument rather than techniques for communicating and arguing with others. Because he says becoming the argument, becoming the thing you want to share with the world is much more important than whatever specific techniques you use. Jerry Spence tells the story of a city boy who goes to a ranch and he rides out on his horse and he's all proud because he has this beautiful saddle with silver inlay and tooled leather. He's riding high and he's feeling great about himself and his beautiful saddle. One of the ranch hands looks at him and says, son, You got a $10,000 saddle on a $10 horse. And ultimately, so many of the skills that we try to learn in life are the $10,000 saddle. It is much more important to be a good horse, 
to become the person that is the argument, to become the person that is what we want to share with the world, rather than the specific techniques that we use to do so. The second book is True and False by David Mamet. Now, this is a book about acting. But within this book, David Mamet, who's a famous playwright and director, speaks a lot about life. Many actors use what is known as method acting, or the method, where they create a character based on the script they're given and try to divest themselves of everything that is them and completely embody the character that is on the page. And what David Mamet says is that that is robbing the audience of a true experience, that you are an interesting person, that you presented to the audience with the actions and the words of the playwright make for an emotionally resonant performance. For example, it's not Abraham Lincoln's beard or the handkerchief he used that made him the interesting character he was. It was the actions that he took. It was the bravery that he showed. And so when an actor is on stage and brings themselves to the performance and makes themselves vulnerable in front of an audience, that is bravery. And that is the bravery that people will connect with. Rather than trying to ignore who you are and become someone else to be interesting, embrace who you are and bring that to the audience. And I would say embrace who you are and bring that to the world. There's much, much more in this small book. And just as an example, in my episode on how to say thank you, a lot of the lessons come from True and False by David Mamet. And the last book is a book I've probably read more times than any other, and that is The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. And the version I always recommend is the abridged version from Bantam Classics. Alexandre Dumas was paid by the word, and so a lot of his books have a lot of padding, shall we say. And this book cuts out a lot of that padding and also resolves some of the loose plot ends. If you're not familiar with the story, it's about a young man whose life is taken away from him and he is framed because of the jealousy of other people and spends many years in prison and eventually escapes and learns of his treasure on the island of Monte Cristo, which he then gets and becomes fabulously wealthy and spends the rest of his life taking revenge on those who wronged him. And that's what everyone knows of the story, those who know the story. But the true lesson of the book is different because Edwin Dante, the hero of the book, does not find satisfaction and does not find ultimate meaning in his revenge. He does not find happiness. As the book progresses, the revenge and the actions that he's taking bring him less and less satisfaction. And ultimately, it is him letting go of his plans. It is him embracing those who wronged him. It is him finding happiness in things and relationships that he already had. They were close at hand. Rather than looking to external sources of meaning and happiness that makes his life complete. It's really quite a remarkable tale of redemption. And the older I get and the more people that I speak with, the more resonant the story becomes. There are two other books that I'd like to put in as honorable mentions, both of which I have encountered rather recently, but have resonated greatly with both. The first is The Encridian by Epictetus. Epictetus was a Roman slave. He was actually Greek, but he was a slave to a Roman. 
who was so wise that he eventually earned his own freedom and became one of the preeminent philosophers in the Stoic tradition. His teachings were written down by one of his students in eight volumes. We only have four. And those eight volumes were then concentrated into a handbook or Enchiridion, a distilled version of Epictetus's most important wisdom. The program for living that is laid out in the Enchiridion is hard to keep to on a perfect basis, but the thoughts are actually the foundation for what thousands of years later would become rational emotive behavioral therapy and later on cognitive behavioral therapy, two of the most successful forms of therapy out there. And so if you're looking for a short book full of wisdom, The Encridian by Epictetus. And last, I'd like to mention my grandfather's book. My grandfather, Rabbi Yaakov Hilsenrath, was, if not the most, one of the most incredible people I ever knew and is my personal hero. And Katav Publishing recently published the Safer, the holy book that he wrote, Torah Ethics of Interpersonal Relationships. And the various chapters are short, but they are very, very full of my grandfather's thoughts, and specifically his thoughts in how to interact in an ethical manner, how to behave within the world, within the very imperfect world that we live. Links to all the books that I've mentioned I will include in the podcast notes. As well, I'll probably be doing a deep dive into at least some of these books, as well as some others, in future episodes. And I'm curious to hear from you. What are some books that have influenced you? What is the story that you love? Please reach out to me and let me know at thoughtfulmindpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back to Season 3. And until next time, go out, believe in yourself. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we end, I want to read a little bit from True and False. Just one section from one of the books I spoke about. I can't talk about all these books without reading something from at least one of them. So David Mamet in True and False writes, Your fear, your self-doubt, your vast confusion, you are facing an ancient mystery, drama, of course you're confused. Do not mar you. At the risk of nicety, they are you. Sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich or an academian won't do the trick if the trick is to bring the play to the audience. What will do the trick? Well, as in any situation where one is lost, it is helpful to acknowledge one's state. We can say, I'd be able to orient myself if I just knew where I was, or I'll go on a diet as soon as I've lost some weight, or I'll begin to seriously attempt to understand the art of the actor and the requirements that art makes on me as soon as I know what I'm doing. When you accept that you don't know what you're doing, you put yourself in the same state as the protagonist in the play. Just like him, you are faced with a task whose solution is hidden from you. Just like the protagonist, you are confused, frightened, anxious. Just like him, your certainties will prove false and humble you. You will be led down long paths and have to turn back. Your rewards will come from unexpected quarters. This is the course of a play, a career, a performance, a life in the theater. Stanislavski said that the job of the actor was to bring the life of the human soul to the stage. That life is your life. It is not neat and packaged. It is not predictable. It is often terrifying, disgusting, humiliating. It is all the things which make up your life. You don't have to wish it away. You can't wish it away. You can only repress it, but you needn't do so. And this is true not only of the theater, but this is actually true of life. So many times... 
I work with clients who hold themselves back because they need certainty, hold themselves back from taking action because this kind of circular logic of, I'll know what to do when I figure out what to do, or I'll know what to do when I've learned what to do, you know, just waiting for this magical moment instead of taking action to change their life, despite the risks, despite the uncertainty, despite the fear. Anybody who waits for all fear to go away in order to take action to change their life is never going to take action because the fear will always be there. Anyways, for real this time, that's it. See you next time. Go out. Believe in yourself. <laughs>